This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Welcome to the free version of the Michael Savage podcast, and I'm going to keep it free for all of you. But there are many of you who would love to be able to listen to my show without any ads. I love ads, but many of you want to listen to the podcast free of ads. So we created something for you, a solution. We call it the Savage Premium. For less than the price of one flat, tasteless beer at your local bar, you can receive access to all of my podcasts going back years ad-free for just $3.99. That's at $3.99 a month. You'll get not only my ad-free podcast, but you will also occasionally receive access to material that is exclusive for members only. And I'm going to give you the list in a minute of what you've, what you've missed. You're going to get an occasional monologue from me, maybe a reading from one of my novels, sneak peeks of interviews before anyone else hears them, archive pieces dating back to 1994. Many things that come up, you're going to get exclusive access to Michael Savage material. Details can be seen on my website, michaelsavage.com. And if you want to join... All you got to do is go to glow.fm and search Savage Premium. That's glow.fm and search Savage Premium. Now, you will always have access to my free weekly podcast. I want to be clear about that. That's my promise to you. But if you want less ads and more Savage, join the Savage Premium Club today and never miss a spoken word of mine. It's glow.fm slash Savage Premium. You can find it on michaelsavage.com. And here's some of the stuff that you have missed so far. Michael Savage reading from his best-selling novel, Countdown to Mecca. My words, my voice. Savage reads from one of his lost journals, Fiji, 1968. Savage's first drive-time show, Hour One. My interview with the Jewish gangster, very popular. I uh, read from my first written, published article, Who Is at the Helm? From 1965, it's heard nowhere but on my premium site. I read passages from my novel, Abuse of Power. Uh, we replayed Fat Al's Tuna. My Savage show from 324.94, the earliest show in the archive, 324.94. My interview with Donald Trump from 110.2011. 110.2011, while Mark Levin was mocking him and Sean Hannity was mocking him uh, and the others were mocking him, I was interviewing Trump much more. And remember, subscribers also get ad-free podcasts every week. The cost is less than a beer at a bar, and you get a better buzz with, with the Savage Premium. So go to, go to glow.fm slash Savage Premium for full access to ad-free podcasts and exclusive sound you'll not hear anywhere else. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Savage Nation podcast. 
You're going to listen to Colonel Douglas McGregor in a moment here with Michael Savage. And I'm calling this podcast A Path to Peace because the colonel, as I want to see peace in Ukraine, not more war, as the media seems to be wanting. We talk about a lot of things, and I want you to remember one thing. Colonel McGregor led the second armored unit in Iraq in the Battle of 73 Easting. It was the U.S. Army's largest tank battle since World War II. He is also the author of the great book, Margin of Victory. I dedicate this program to Colonel McGregor today, which I call A Path to Peace. He's been all over the media. He's highly controversial because he's daring to say things that, well, are not politically acceptable. Right now, you have Fox, MSNBC, CNN, and the mainstream media all repeating the exact same narrative all repeating what Jen Psaki of the presidency is saying. They're all on the same page. And this man, Colonel McGregor, is the author of five books. He has a PhD. And he was commissioned in the regular army in 1976 after only one year at VMI, Virginia Military Institute, and four years at West Point. In 04, McGregor retired with the rank of colonel. In 2020, President Trump appointed McGregor to serve as senior advisor to the Secretary of Defense. A great post he held until President Trump left office. Then, of course, he was fired by Biden. Mm-hmm. Colonel McGregor holds an MA in comparative politics, a PhD in international relations from the University of Virginia. He's widely known inside the U.S., Europe, Israel, Russia, China, and Korea for both his leadership in the Battle of 73 Easting and for his groundbreaking books on military transformation, which are called Breaking the Phalanx and Transformation Under Fire. And yet, Colonel McGregor is now considered controversial because he's not a stooge of the U.S. government. Colonel McGregor, how are you today, sir? Fine, thanks. Good to see you as well. Well, I've been watching you on every show on Earth that wants to hear a little bit of reality, I should say. You have a phenomenally distinguished career, Colonel McGregor. You seem to be the guy on the outside right now people are afraid of you colonel mcgregor why are they so hesitant to listen? what are you saying that's so controversial about the ukraine russia situation well i guess to to understand that you have to first of all understand who the people are and why they are driving this confrontation in ukraine perfect perfect war 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 yeah well, it's, it's a strange set of circumstances. Obviously, the last thing I think the United States needs at this point in its history is a major war with another major power. Amen. So that's a fairly straightforward position. And I have supported the idea of neutrality for Ukraine, uh, certainly since 2014. I always thought that uh, the Ukrainian construct as a net nation state was a historical because it included too many people who were not Ukrainian. First of all, they were never really asked whether or not they wanted to live inside this thing called Ukraine. Mm. And uh, I suggested, well, we should have a plebiscite. And ever since 2014, I've been under attack by members of both parties, by what we call, and I think you used the term as well, the, the uniparty swamp that uh, just regards uh, me as an enormous problem because I don't subscribe to the view that we should shove this nation state construct down everybody's throats, that there should be room for people to vote, decide what they want, what they don't want. 
And ultimately, you know, we've lost that battle uh, fairly early. The Republicans, as well as Democrats in the Senate, wanted nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. They seem to have decided to, to make war on Russia, whether that war is uh, economic or cultural or otherwise. Uh, and I think some, to some extent we have to say that Russia to them represents the last major European state that is not part of the globalist, uh, internationalist empire if you will. They, they've resisted LGBTQ. They've resisted uh, what I would call this interesting uh, blend of nihilism, Marxism, atheism. Mm. And as a result, they, they have to be subverted and overthrown. I, I, I know how controversial everything that you just said appears to sound to those who have been, I should say, brainwashed by the narrative. And, and what's shocking to me, and I've been watching the news for 27 years, in the media and my whole life before that, if I turn that television on and I watch Fox News, I may as well be listening to MSNBC, CNN, NPR. They're all repeating the same exact talking points. There's no differential. No one is allowed to say, wait a minute, maybe just because Putin is bad, that's if he's bad. And anyone looking at the war footage and who's not affected by the old people, the children being dragged through mud, for safety is not fully human. We all feel the sim- sympathy for these people, but it's not as simple in my mind as Putin is evil and therefore Zelensky is Churchill. He is the last thing from being Churchill. I could not believe that this vulgar nightclub comedian, which is all he's ever been to me, put into power in 2019 with complete lies of what he would do, which he hasn't done, would be invited to speak to the British Parliament. They give him a standing ovation when he repeated the same thing that Churchill said. We'll fight in the land. We'll fight in the sea. We'll fight in the streets. It was outrageous to listen to that. And you as a historian and a military analyst could probably better articulate how Ukraine is not the UK facing Hitler. Would you care to comment on that for a moment? Because you would know more about that. I mean, I know intuitively the UK, Britain or England facing Nazi Germany is not comparable in any way to Ukraine facing Russia right now, correct? No, absolutely not. And I think it's a tragedy that we have so many people trying to refight the Second World War. Ah, The Second World War was a terrible tragedy, particularly in the East. Millions and millions and millions of lives were lost pointlessly in this Nazi-Soviet war, dredging these uh, sort of mythological beasts back up from the grave on mm. all sides is a catastrophe. That's the last thing we should want. There's never been a willingness just to look objectively at what is in the interest of the people who live inside this thing called Ukraine. Is it really in their interest to join a bloc like the NATO alliance that is unambiguously and incurably hostile to Russia? Hmm. I don't think it is. Uh, but, but then again, you know, my view from the beginning of this whole business, when I was my last tour uh, with the NATO alliance at the Supreme Headquarters Allied Powers Europe, was that we should be telling people in in Eastern Europe, and for that matter, everywhere in the world, before you turn to us and and try to drag us into the war that you think you want to fight with your neighbor, we really think you ought to talk to your neighbor and find a way to get along first. No one seems to be interested in doing that. We'll be back momentarily with Colonel McGregor right after this. Michael Savage, a host like no other. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? 
you need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Thanks for staying with us. We're back with Colonel McGregor. It seems to me there's a thirst for more war because it's good for ratings. And there's certainly millions, billions of dollars being made uh, by the military industrial complex. And I keep mentioning Zelensky. He's a front man for some some parties. And I, I think he's the problem. I've been almost screaming for two weeks on social media for as little effect as it has, which is for the sake of his own people. Let, it's all about him. He's like a comedian in an undershirt. My wife called him an influencer, not a leader. She said, what leader gets up in a, in, a, in a T-shirt and acts like a hero every day? That's not Churchillian. It's not even rational to do that. If he if he cared about his own people, I think he would sue for peace last week, the week before, or he would have not let it get to this stage. But then again, I hear the other side which is what would you do if America were invaded? He's like Washington facing the British. All false analogies, in my opinion. What about yours, Colonel? Uh, Many in your audience may remember the name Bruno Kreisky. Bruno Kreisky was president of Austria, and he was the man who stepped up to the plate in 1950s and neutralized Austria. Bruno Kreisky, interestingly enough, was also Jewish. People aren't aware of that. But Bruno Kreisky was an Austrian, and he said, look, we don't want to be part of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. What we really want to do is end this Soviet occupation and get the Soviets out of here. And the best way to do that is to adopt neutrality. And the Mm -hmm. interesting thing that people don't understand is that General Eisenhower, uh, who at the time was president of the United States in 1955, welcomed this. Mm -hmm. He welcomed it because he said, look, there's no way we can possibly maintain the forces on the ground and in the air to defend all of these states in Europe against a potential Soviet invasion. Mm-hmm. So the good, the best solution that we could hope for in Eastern Europe, in his judgment, was to neutralize as many states as possible. Mm-hmm. He was also well aware of what had happened during the Second World War, and he didn't want to make the wars that were fought in the East our wars. Mm-hmm. And effectively, every small state is always interested in wagging the tail of the big dog. We're Mm. the big dog. Everyone wants to drag us into their petty disagreements. We don't want anything to do with those. His overriding principle was was essentially mine, and I think is consistent with what we should do as Americans, which is stay out of other people's wars. (laughs) Unless we are directly attacked, we are at risk. A strategic interest that we share with someone that's vital is at risk. We need to stay out. I so thought Ukraine, Eisenhower was right. Ukraine's interests are not vital to ours, in, in your opinion. Is that a correct assumption? Absolutely not. Okay. So I read an article yesterday about Kissinger, what he wrote in 2014, which predicted many of the Russian-Ukraine issues. And he, he said many things, and I'm not going to repeat it. You're on the show right now. But he said, far too often, the Ukrainian issue is posed as a showdown whether Ukraine joins the East or the West. But if Ukraine is to survive and thrive, it must not be either side's outpost against the other. It should function as a bridge between them. Russia must accept that to try to force Ukraine into a satellite status and thereby move Russia's borders again would do Moscow repeat its history of self-fulfilling cycles of reciprocal pressures with Europe and the U.S. 
And he goes on. The West must understand that to Russia, Ukraine can never be just a foreign country. Russian history began in what was called Kievan Rus. The Russian religion spread from there. And he goes on that Ukraine has been part of Russia for centuries and their histories were intertwined before then. And then I learned that I really didn't know that Eastern Ukraine is largely Russian Orthodox in religion. Western Ukraine is largely Catholic. There's almost a religious war going on. And I was laying in bed last night, Colonel, and I was saying, is is there any comparison here to Ireland, Northern Ireland and, and, and the Brits? Uh, I don't think so. I think it's a little little different from that. Uh, first of all, the Kievan Rus issue is real, but we have to remember that the Mongols devastated Kiev, annihilated the entire population and reduced it to rubble. The Mongols. Which is, yes, which is why in the 13th century, which is why the center of gravity shifted north to Smolensk and Moscow. So then in 1380, the Duchy of Lithuania and the Kingdom of Poland unite as something called the Polish-Lithuanian Empire, and they had the most profound impact on what today we call Western Ukraine in terms of language, culture, uh, literature, and even DNA. Mm-hmm. So in Western Ukraine, the people are very different. Now, there are lots of Orthodox Christians in, in Western Ukraine as well. You would think that you know, religion should play a role and Christians should try to avoid killing each other. But that hasn't worked very well, as we both know, over the centuries. <laughs> no. Uh, so, you know, you're on to something. But I think instead it goes back to this idea that there was always an opportunity early on with this false construct. Putin is right about that. Crimea was never Ukrainian. It was Russian from 1776 until really uh, the 50s. And and even then it stayed Russian just because they redrew the boundaries and included it in Ukraine. Uh, why, why, by the way, why did why did um, Khrushchev give Crimea to Ukraine in the 50s? What was that about? Well, I think uh, they drank a great deal that night. <laughs> and, uh, and Khrushchev was uh, trying to give his buddies in the Ukrainian uh, Communist Party a gift for their loyalty to him and his climb to the top. But those people were also Russians. I mean, it wasn't hardly Ukraine per se. I see. One other thing, Colonel, I'm reading from the Kissinger piece, and I wonder what you think about it. He, he wrote this, and this is in 2014. He said, even such famed dissidents as Solzhenitsyn and Brodsky insisted that Ukraine was an integral part of Russian history and indeed of Russia. The European Union must recognize that its bureaucratic dilatoriness, if I'm pronouncing that right, and subordination of the strategic element to domestic politics in negotiating Ukraine's relationship to Europe contributed to turning a negotiation into a crisis. He said foreign policy is the art of establishing priorities. We have no statesmen anymore, do we? No, no. And you don't have trained diplomats. Uh, I think one of the key figures in all of this, sadly, is Blinken. Yeah, who is he? The guy well, looks he, like a, like an idiot. He looks like a university professor, completely <laughs> out of his league with world leaders. And he's terrified. He looks scared like a rabbit. Well, he may be. And if he is, it's probably justified. Uh, I think <laughs> he, he depends almost entirely for his information about Ukraine on Victoria Newland. OK, Victoria now we come Newland. to the crux of the of the matter, because that name yeah. had to come up. I have just learned about her recently and now it's starting to filter up percolate up from the subterranean depths of the social media certainly not really being talked about 
much on the mainstream media. Could you please tell the Savage Nation audience who she is and what her role is in all of this? Well, I, to be frank with you, I'm not intimately familiar with her. I knew Fred Kagan and his wife. I've never met Bob Kagan or uh, Victoria Newland, mm. who was Bob's wife. But remember, these are people that believe in the globalization project. And she has been in the forefront of driving this train, first under the Bush administration and subsequently under Obama. Uh, there was a pause under Donald Trump. I say pause because he really did not fundamentally affect at lower levels who was in the bureaucracy. And he even had people in his cabinet who were actively undermining him, as you know. Oh, yes, I do know. So we just we just had a pause with Trump. And I remember President Trump was always arguing and privately as well as publicly, you know, we've got to form a better relationship with Russia. There's no reason for this hostility. And he was correct. Mm-hmm. But he was surrounded by people above him or, or rather below him and around him who were trying to cultivate it. Victoria Newland was in that driver's seat for the reasons that we discussed at the beginning, the, the belief in this set of values that have to be shoved down everybody's throats. And remember, if you're a globalist, then your values are universal. And Russia stands out there as this, in their mind, as this anachronism. Mm-hmm. It's a national state. The people have a strong sense of national identity. There's a national language, uh, a history that they revere, and there's an ethnicity. All of this is combined to produce this modern state that we call Russia. Mm. It obviously has to be destroyed. They must open their borders. They must undergo what we and the Europeans in the West have undergone. We have to denationalize Russia just as we have denationalized ourselves and adopt this new Mm -hmm. uh, sort of ambiguous set of values that are self-destructive. All right. We'll be right back. The Savage Nation. It's savage on demand. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Okay, we're back with Colonel Douglas McGregor. Colonel, you know, as I listen to you, what I hear resonating in my mind is if that's their position, that Russia must denationalize, open their borders. Why doesn't that apply to their darling Ukraine? You know what you have? What, what's odd to me is we have two nationalists facing off against each other in the media, Putin versus Zelensky. But Zelensky is portrayed as a hero and Putin is portrayed as Hitler. But in fact, Zelensky is is actually projecting a very strong nationalist image to the world which the left seems to embrace while rejecting it in America and rejecting it in Russia and everywhere else. Well, they're embracing something that they want to use as a bludgeoning instrument against Russia. The Ukrainians are just being manipulated in all of this. Mm. Their interests are are of no concern whatsoever to the people driving this train, just as the interests of most Americans are treated with contempt. These Mm. people have a completely different view of the world, and Mm. they are determined to globalize it. The Ukrainians are just the latest instrument in their arsenal that they're trying to use to defame and destroy Russia. I wish the Ukrainians understood that, but they do not. Colonel, U.S. Undersecretary of State 
Victoria Nuland, who goes back to the Obama era, confirmed in a congressional hearing just Tuesday that biological research facilities were in Ukraine and feared that Russia could take control. Now they're saying in the media, that's what got me very angry this morning, that Russia is about to use biological weapons and say that the Ukrainians did it. It seems like I'm watching an alternate reality here, a propaganda going in circles. So Newland says that Ukraine has biological research facilities. Now we're hearing Russia is going to use that as a pretext to use chemical weapons on the Ukrainians. Can you give us some clarity on this issue? Uh, I think the whole idea is utter nonsense, complete insanity. Putin, uh, if you view him as just a Russian, as an Eastern Slav, is not interested in killing large numbers of other Eastern Slavs who are also Orthodox Christians or otherwise. Mm. It's not his intent. If anything, he would like to include certainly the the Russian-speaking Eastern Slavs and Eastern Ukraine inside this larger Russian construct because he's got a population whose birth rate has fallen. He's Mm. had to effectively slow down, if not stop, the brain drain out of Russia because people want to seek opportunities elsewhere in order Mm. to enrich themselves, but also to live a more fulfilling life. These are Mm. the people that have the most to offer, the the human capital that he needs inside Russia. Mm. He's got a completely different approach. So the notion that he's going to try and mass murder or exterminate these people Mm. is, I think, ludicrous nonsense. Mm. Now, as far as the biolabs are are concerned, I don't know the details. I've looked at a lot of material. And I I do find it interesting that Victoria Newland was in the forefront of speaking about this. It's almost as though someone who stole a car wants to get on television and say, look, I didn't steal a car. I'm not a I'm not a thief. I'm not a crook. It sounds like a fifth grade tactic, because the more she says, I know nothing about it, the more we know she knows a lot about it. Colonel, I I have to ask you about a few things in your background that are so interesting to me. Your leadership in the Battle of 73 Easting the U.S. Army's largest tank battle since World War II. I'd love to get into that in a minute. But before we do, I I read today in the Stanford Advocate that the narrative we are hearing in America, the only narrative that we see in the media at all, is not the same as the narrative that is seen outside the West, where Putin is less isolated than you might think. And I just learned truthfully in studying this today that India on the Modi has refrained from denouncing the Russian invasion. Brazilian President Bolsonaro said his nation will not take sides in the conflict. And he even dismissed Ukrainian leader Zelensky as a comedian. A senior South African official still calls Russia a friend through and through. So the whole world is not against Russian President Putin as the Russians lay siege to Ukrainian cities. The world outside is not 100 percent behind the view of the mainstream media. No, it isn't. And uh, the countries that you mentioned, most of them fall into this thing we call the BRICS or the BRIC. These are these are nations that are stepping out, uh, if you will, of the financial system because the financial system has been weaponized against them. Mm. Remember, the SWIFT system is something we created. And we use it as a weapon against anyone we don't like. What is the SWIFT system? It's a money transfer system, like a bank wiring system. It's more than that. It, you, it's transfer payments between nations for commodities and goods. And if you can't use it, you, you are potentially in serious trouble. Now, nations have, because it's all dollar-based, but remember that nations are already trading today in other than dollars. Right now, trade between Japan and China, which has picked up enormously, 
is all in their currency. They've agreed to trade with each other in their currency, not using dollars. Hmm. This is why you hear people periodically stand up and say, we're putting the, the dollar's reserve position at risk, which is not really in our interest. We would like to stay the dollar reserve. Uh, but we're doing stupid things that are driving people away from us. And even in Europe, the German chancellor, who I think is a, not a bad human being, but is trying, as so many politicians do, to stay on all sides of the issue, is mm. saying, I, I'm going to continue to pay for Russian energy. I'm sorry. 80% mm. of my energy comes from Russia through Ukraine to, to Germany. Uh, I'm not going to cut it off. I can't. He knows he can't. He'd have hundreds of thousands of Germans in the street protesting and potentially rioting because they wouldn't have any energy. Uh, he's not the only one. Hungary is, it falls into that particular category. I doubt seriously the Greeks are very enthusiastic about what we're doing. We really stand an excellent chance of, of killing this thing called the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. The opposite they won't of what we're hearing. Definitely. The media says that now NATO is more unified than ever before. You disagree, apparently. We'll be right back with more from this incredible conversation with Colonel Douglas McGregor. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. Colonel, uh, you know, listening to you and your deep analysis, I mean, you are a Ph.D. and a, a foreign policy consultant, so you study things in great detail. And I know you graduated from VMI. No, I graduated from West Point. West Point. Sorry, I apologize. I only spent a year at VMI. <laughs> I'm sorry, because I have a friend who fought in Vietnam who was very proud of his VMI background. So, uh, well, so am I. I. I thought the school was a wonderful place, and uh, I wouldn't trade that year for anything. It, it was enormously important to me, but I did go on to West Point. I had a party just last Saturday that I gave for special forces group here in the Bay Area, and the speaker was a West Point graduate. Wonderful guys, about 40 men and their wives. I just wanted to give them something to say thank you for what you're doing for this country. And the, and VMI and West Point came up, not in any com- competitive way, but it was very interesting how many men there were West Point graduates. You probably know some of them, but I won't mention any of their names at this, at this point. Uh, could you tell us how we can, not how we can, sorry, a little too megalomaniacal of me. How can this be resolved? Uh, I wrote a, uh, an op-ed that was published in the American Conservative, talks about a path to peace for Ukraine. A path to peace. Yes. And I said, the Europeans really need to take control of this crisis. They've eff- effectively abdicated their responsibilities entirely to the United States. They've left it in the hands of the Biden White House. Mm. And unfortunately, I think the Biden White House has talked itself into a box mm. from which cannot escape. It's similar to LBJ, who very much wanted to end the Vietnam War. In fact, I'm not sure he wanted to get into it to begin with, but Mm -hmm. he very much wanted to end it. But he couldn't possibly do it because he'd made all of these strident policy remarks from which he couldn't retreat. And I think President Bush has done the same thing with uh, Putin and Russia. And so we're stuck with this, yes, Russian hostility, uh, Russians must be punished, But every time we get close to actually stepping into the conflict, I think President Biden stands up and says, but I don't want any war. But it doesn't change anything. So I think Berlin and Paris, along with all the the states that border Ukraine and Russia right now in Europe, really need to say, wait a minute, stop. We need a ceasefire. And we'll sit with President Putin and 
President Zelensky, we will hammer out a solution. Mm. And number one on the on the hit list that absolutely needs to be accepted immediately is neutrality. There's no reason why Ukraine has to be part of NATO. And and the, the notion that if it isn't, it's somehow or another at risk is crazy. The opposite is the case. Mm. It'll end up like Austria. Mm. It'll be out of the game. And the Austrians have been, enjoyed enormous prosperity for the first time just 10, 15 years ago. Austria finally passed Germany in terms of its standard of living. Austria mm. was always behind Germany. Why? Because it's out of it. It's not part of the problem. Mm. It's not wasting trillions on defense. It's not a battleground. That's what Ukraine needs, not more war. And I think Putin will be very receptive to that. What he wants is to know that this neighboring state is not going to be turned into a Trojan horse aimed at Russia. And and it's very clear from Victoria Newlands has said, and everything we've heard from the Biden administration, and by, by the way, our friend Boris Johnson in London, oh, boy. that's exactly what we want. We want it to be a Trojan horse. We want Ukraine to be a throat, uh, to be a, a knife at Russia's throat, which is silly. It's unnecessary. It's stupid. Boris Johnson is a great disappointment um, for a man who came to power as a so-called conservative. He's turned out to be nothing but uh, identical to a globalist in every way imaginable. And aside from that, a great party animal. But the two part, the two parts to this puzzle that you just mentioned are conciliation, neutrality. I, and the other day I was hopeful when Zelensky, the comedian, came out of his stupor of egomaniacal behavior and narcissism, uh, I've been saying the man looks to me like he's stuck in his own opera where he's the hero. It's always about him. He came out and said, oh, I'm getting I'm, I'm getting a little cooler on joining NATO. That's why his cities are crumbling and two million people are being driven out of his own nation. What is wrong with this man? And yet you see Americans saying, oh, he's like Churchill. As I said before, he's fighting for his nation. He's destroying his nation in my opinion. Now, I know that this is not a popular opinion, and I, I, I don't know. I, I think you agree with me. I'm not trying to drag you into my worldview. I think Zelensky is the problem. I think he should be pushed aside by the leadership in Ukraine. If there is there anyone else there other than him? Who's well, number two? Who's number three? Well, the problem is that I think most of the people surrounding Mr. Zelensky are very radicalized, and most of them are Western Ukrainians with this permanent condition of hostility to Russia. That's part of the problem. Some people have suggested to me that Mr. Zelensky is at risk of losing his life if he seems to buckle. And uh, oh, 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 you mean by his, from his own people? That's what I'm hearing Yeah, from some of his own. At the same time, I don't think, though, he's really the man of the hour. The man of the hour, if he wanted to be the man of the hour, is President Biden. He's the man that holds all the cards. He could step in and say, wait a minute, stop. Uh, we will yep. accept neutrality. That's quite clear. Let's convene a conference and sort the rest of it out. I see. I think well, if I did, agree. With, I think Biden's been doing a remarkable job of restraint, by the way, for yes. not sticking himself into this more deeply. Yes. And I think he's he is, strangely enough, the lone ranger at this point inside his own administration. So I see what you're it's saying. Very, it's very strange. We went through this with President Trump, who, who prevented war with Iran. Yes. Uh, single handedly when he was essentially ambushed by his administration into it. And I think he was the one who said, I'm not comfortable 
fomenting potential conflict by sending more military assistance to Ukraine? How does this help us build bridges to Russia? Of course, he was pilloried. This is the Russiagate nonsense for that. Uh, so I, I, I guess it would be nice if President Biden could do it, but I don't see it happening. That's why I, I pleaded in, in this essay, Europeans, you must take control. You must stand up. Uh, unfortunately, I think we've lulled them into a sort of state of permanent dependency. We, we don't have an alliance in Europe. What we really have are protectorates. Mm-hmm. We'll be back momentarily with Colonel McGregor right after this. Home of Borders, Language, Culture, The Savage Nation. Thanks for staying with us. We're back with Colonel McGregor. Biden, in your opinion, should step in and put an end like the teacher, the principal. The fight's going on in the courtyard of the school. The little kid's getting pummeled to death and won't give up. The big kid says, just say I give up and I'll stop hitting you. The little guy says, drop dead. And the big guy hits him again. And the principal doesn't step in. So the principal is Biden and say, "Okay, break it up. Here's what we're going to do. Cooling off period. Like all disputes, we need a cooling off period. Let's stop it and let's work it out. So when I heard Zelensky say that the other day, I said, oh, thank God, maybe this will stop this madness. I have not seen footage like this since World War Two. I've not seen anything like this. Millions of people on the road, old people in wheelchairs, How can Zelensky go on like this and not yield, even if all his cohorts are former cabaret comedians from his former troop? I I read this. I couldn't believe it. When he was installed in power in 2019, most of the people he put into the government were from his theater troupe, from his TV shows. They're the ones running the government. Do they really know what's going on? Are they living in an alternate reality? I think uh, a little bit of both. They they don't know what's really happening, and maybe it is an alternate reality for them. The point is that the man with the power and the influence to stop this really is President Biden. And he could do it by simply saying that the United States supports neutrality for Ukraine. And that takes the burden off of Zelensky, particularly if he is under the gun from Ah, people inside his own Interesting. If Biden said that. So why, so Colonel, why is no one in Washington, D.C. interested in brokering a ceasefire? I think it's the same Russiagate mentality that uh, Russia has to be brought to its knees and they think that they can do this. And I don't see any evidence for it. Never. They don't understand Russian history if they think that, you know, just as an amateur historian, they don't realize that Russia lost four million troops just taking Berlin in the last four, three months of World War Two. They don't have any idea what the Russian military is like. And by the way, you're a military expert, obviously. We keep hearing that Russia's bogged down, Russia miscalculated. Is that true? I would say a couple of things. The initial guidance that was given to Russian forces going into Ukraine was to avoid collateral damage and minimize civilian casualties. Uh, There were towns and villages and places in Ukraine where the Russian-speaking population came out and said, look, we, we don't want to be part of this fight. That did happen. We don't know anything about it. We're not mm. being shown videos of it, obviously. Oh, my we're God. Trying to, we're trying to argue that everyone universally is hostile and armed to the teeth. That's wow. misleading. Uh, he did not want <clears throat> to, to <clears throat> inflict damage. <clears throat> I think the way to think of it is this. When this is over, Mr. Putin wants to live with the people in Ukraine. And that's a very important thing to keep in mind. 
In other words, he doesn't want so much bad blood on the ground that they cannot go forward and live together. Remember, Mm -hmm. he was an avid supporter of Solzhenitsyn a true believer in what Solzhenitsyn was saying. And, uh, this is a, a, gem, a germinal, a seminal point of this discussion. He's not the old Soviet communist. That no, way. no, no. In fact, if anything, he's probably more czarist in his outlook. Ah, uh, That, I think, is increasingly obvious in the way he's gone about these things. But he, he decorated uh, Solzhenitsyn before he passed away with one of the highest decorations that you can receive as a, as a Russian citizen. Uh, he he admired him, he adored him, and he believed in him. Remember, Solzhenitsyn was also another devout Orthodox Christian. And I'm sure if he were alive today, he'd be out there arguing for an end to this conflict. These people should not be killing each other. This yes. is just disastrous. Now, the point is nobody wants to step up and understand that we, in the lead of NATO, have made it our policy to expand NATO be well, well beyond whatever was needed or required. And we ultimately decided to treat the Russians increasingly as the enemy. Hmm. And Russia didn't have to be the enemy. It doesn't have to be your friend, yes. but it never had to be the enemy. That's well put. And so I, I think at this stage of the game, uh, to go back again, uh, the Europeans need to step in. And I'm when I say Europeans, I'm talking about the people on the continent because they're the ones that live with the consequences of the damage. We in Britain are both islands. We sail in, we sail out. We no. fly in, we fly out. We're not a permanent presence anywhere except where we live. And that's the problem. Everybody else has to live with the damage that we inflict. Hmm. This is an opportunity to reverse that and step in and say, wait a minute, let's let's adopt neutrality for Ukraine and then sort out all the rest of the issues. I think the fighting would end if if President Biden made that appeal. But if he won't, then the Europeans need to somehow or another come together and say, we need to stop the fighting for all the reasons that you rightly cite. It's a waste of time. It's pointless. And NATO, after the fall of the Soviet state, if you asked any officer in any of the European forces, what is NATO's mission? And they said NATO's mission is to prevent another war in Europe. Prevent another war in Europe, and they certainly failed at that. Yeah, but for what reason? We we insisted we had to involve ourselves because they refused to in the Balkans. Europeans were not anxious to get involved in the Balkans and kill people, to become a co-belligerent, if you will. Oh, I remember that so well when Clinton bombed Serbia for 75 days. I was on the radio. I was sick watching it because of the great history of the Serbian people rescuing our airmen and the old men looking up saying in Belgrade, we've not seen planes bombing our bridges since Hitler's Stukas bombed our bridges. I couldn't believe what I was watching on the Clinton. It's almost a repeat of history of the same mentality. And Colonel, I must say, I remember Hillary Clinton back in 2014, 15, 16, saying Putin is Hitler. She was starting in with the anti-Putin rhetoric from the get-go. What the hell is this about the Democrats and wanting war? Well, it's not just Democrats, let's be frank. Uh, this, this mantra that everything is a repetition of what happened in the 30s, mm. uh, that every, every time you talk to someone you don't like, you're Chamberlain at Munich. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, every, every time you don't insist on maximum damage to your opponent, you're an appeaser. That's what I'm hearing on and on and on. This is this is this is the sort of trite nonsense. And they've they've made very good use of it now for 30 years. I mean, you've got to give them credit. This has been an an historically successful narrative. 
that is thrown in everyone's face. So you and I are obviously traitors to our country because oh God, don't we, say we that. are appeasers. You see, we may wind up not, we may wind up on a list after this is all over. I, I think we're we're there. Let's face it. The well, point there's is, a domestic, there's a domestic terrorism group now under Biden. Uh, well, I'm just saying that they look at us as the enemy. That's because horrible. these these people think in terms you're either with us or against us. Remember, this was W's argument when he gave his famous speech in 2001. Hmm. He said, either you're with us or against us and talked about the axis of evil. Yes. There was, there was no room for saying, wait a minute, we're only interested in a specific individuals yeah. that we can tie directly to this heinous crime. Instead, we're going to wage war all over the globe hmm. against what we claim is a universal enemy. I mean, I often ask, how did we go from the existential threat of the global caliphate to the existential threat of China. What happened to the global caliphate? It, it vanished. Became, well, that became, it became the COVID virus. <laughs> well, that's, a couple of years. That's fine. And now it's China. And, yeah. and China is being upstaged by Russia, the, the other existential threat to everyone. So there's I'm always not, this existential threat of Hitler out there, so to speak. Yes. To unify yeah. the American people. I had an expert on last week, Fred Flights. You've probably seen him making the media rounds. Fred said we have battlefield nukes. We no longer have battlefield nukes, but Russia does. Is that true? We still have tactical nuclear weapons. Uh, in fact, we have a lot of money in the budget right now to build new ones. And we've, all, and we've taken the, the view that we can incrementally employ nuclear weapons. <laughs> the Russians have said any nuclear weapon at all. And we respond effectively with a strike. Massive nuclear strike. There was one nuclear weapon, even if it's less than five kilotons, is still a nuclear weapon. So the Russians don't buy that. Putin has been asked on occasion, you know, you've threatened this, you've threatened that. He said, what are you talking about? Well, you said this and this about the Baltic states. He said, yeah, are you crazy? I would use a nuclear weapon against our neighbors in the Baltic states. That's outrageous. He said, I would never do that. And then people don't understand that you have prevailing winds in that part of the world. Mm -hmm. If you detonate a nuclear weapon, let us say in Warsaw, the fallout blows across Siberia uh, into parts of China and Japan. My God. In, in other words, people don't really understand how this works. No one is interested in a nuclear strike of any kind. I'm quite confident that President Biden isn't, mm. and I'm confident that President Putin isn't. But Putin is fighting on his doorstep. Yeah. That's a little different. If we were dealing with the kind of problem that he has in Mexico, yeah. what would we do? I know what we would do. There's no question about it. But the question is, how. first of all, you've analyzed, from my perspective, sufficient to end this thing. Because the, the Ukrainian people are suffering. The, the cities will not be rebuilt in our lifetimes. Never. I don't even know how these cities can be rebuilt. And this is without using massive Aleutian bomber strikes, for example, right. forget, forget missiles. If we go back to the Vietnam era, and I remember that LBJ and the others who were running the war wouldn't bomb Hanoi and Haiphong to any extent. They didn't want to cause tremendous civilian damage. Again, it was a hands off. So the fighter pilots flew into impossible situations, getting shot down like flies. And we never won that war because we would not bring to bear all the power of the U.S. military. Is that what's going on with Russia right now? 
Uh, well, it's a different thing. Remember, Vietnam was never a vital strategic interest to the United States. That was another war of choice. Mm. So there was no real willingness to go in full tilt, if you will. Mm. Russia is different in Ukraine. I mean, the Russians don't want to do the damage for the reasons that I've outlined. I heard a, a senior officer who's retired say, well, it's an, it's an objective to kill as many Ukrainians as possible. I can't find any evidence for that. Who Perhaps said that? He, Who said uh, that? It's a retired general. I can't remember which U.S. One. or Russian. U.S. Oh, so another propaganda. ploy. And I, I can't find any evidence for that. In fact, if anything, during the first five days, I think he he surrendered a lot of momentum. You know, sometimes if you're trying to be restrained, you end up with a longer fight than you otherwise would have had. And more people are killed and, and hurt than would have been the case if you had gone in hard and fast to begin with. Hey, listeners of the Michael Savage podcast, you've just listened to part one of my interview with the great Colonel Douglas McGregor. Please join us Monday on the Michael Savage podcast for part two of this interview and a very special announcement about the future of the Michael Savage podcast with some new directions. Tell five friends, would you please? We need your support. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this, if you want to listen to my podcast ad-free, sign up for the Savage Premium Membership and get access to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content from our Savage Archives. How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? Please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. This is Michael Savage.